President John F. Kennedy delivered the first ever live presidential news conference. And we're going to talk about that today on This Is Today. Welcome to This Is Today, the podcast that features the stories that make this day unique. It's Monday, January 25th, 2021. I'm Russ, and here's what you need to know about today. Hey, I hope you had a great week, and I know I dropped a bomb on you on Friday if you were listening to the podcast. Basically, I announced a second podcast. Yes, a spinoff where, you know, those interview segments that we do, they move over to a new podcast called Learning More. And guess what? Today you get a sampling of what Learning More is, and we will do that later in the podcast. You get to listen to the first episode. How cool is that? I'm doing that because, you know, you're my subscribers. You're my friends here on uh, This Is Today. And, uh, you know, I want to share that podcast with you. Plus, I want to get you to listen. Yeah. Okay. There's a little selfishness there. <laughs> I want you to listen to the new podcast. And, you know, um, it's not going to debut until next Monday, but you get to hear next Monday's episode today. How cool is that? Well, there you go. So we'll be listening to that together in just a bit. But first, let's talk about today uh, and do the stuff that we do on <laughs> this is today. Yeah, it's National Irish Coffee Day today. And you would think that Irish coffee came from Ireland. No, it came from San Francisco, the Buena Vista Hotel in San Francisco to be specific. Yeah, they started making uh, this Irish coffee and uh, well, now they've got their own national day. What's Irish coffee, you ask? Well, basically it's a little whiskey and some syrup in your coffee and there you go, you're off to a good day. <laughs> so enjoy uh, National Irish Coffee Day today. It is also opposite day today. So if it's a day where you wouldn't normally uh, drink during the day, well, hey, <laughs> it all works out, doesn't it? Now, if it's a day that you would normally drink uh, during the day, uh, seek help. Uh, yes, <laughs> even on opposite day, you're going to probably want to get some help if you're drinking every day. Come on. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm the only podcast that could possibly laugh at that. Now, there's, there's probably some others out there. Uh, anyway, uh, let's take a look at some of our events for today. Uh, in 1858, the Wedding March was first played by Felix Mendelssohn. Yeah, you know, the Wedding March that's played everywhere. Well, today uh, was the first time that was played. And uh, in 1949, the first Emmy Awards were held at the Hollywood Athletic Club. Okay, so who walked away with awards in 1949? Well, of course, the classic television show, Pantomime Quiz. Yeah, I don't know it either. Uh, best film made for television that year, The Necklace. Also, yeah, no idea. And the host uh, of the uh, first ever uh, awards program there was Shirley Dinsdale. Yeah, must have been an exciting night. Uh, on this day in 1960, the National Association of Broadcasters, well, they uh, decided to react to that whole payola scandal. Now, I talked to you about the payola thing before. And, well, what is that? Well, that's essentially... 
when a DJ on the radio gets paid for something, paid to play a certain song, they could get played by an advertiser to say something or whatever. It's actually, there's a version of that now, like, you know, on Instagram when they're doing these things where they're showing a product and they have to say like what it's about and they're being paid and all of that. Well, that's kind of a version, the modern version, I guess you'd say, of payola. Yeah, well, Alan Freed was an American disc jockey. He was fired because of this back in 1959. But on this day, this is when it all kind of started to, to go crazy. They reacted and um, then they changed a bunch of stuff so that basically DJs could no longer pick the music. How much does that suck? Yeah, DJs back in the day <laughs> used to get to pick what they play. Nowadays, um, they essentially get told what to play. Sorry to break that to you. It's very sad, I know. Uh, in 1961, JFK delivered the first live presidential television news conference. And you know, there's this new podcast called Learning More, and that's going to be a part of the sample of Learning More that we hear later. We're going to be joined by Stephen Fagan on the first episode of Learning More, and you will get to hear a sample of that. It's not going to be available to everyone else until next week, but you get to hear that in just a little bit. Uh, let's move now to 1971. Charles Manson and his three followers were convicted of the Tate-LaBianca murders. The murders had happened in August of 1969. Sharon Tate and her unborn child, along with four others, were killed in these murders. It was discovered later that the brutal event was ordered by Charles Manson. Why? Well, Manson thought that the home belonged to a record executive that he felt double-crossed him. See, Charlie wanted to be a rock star. He died in prison in 2017 at the age of 83. In 1974, Ray Kroc, the CEO of McDonald's, he bought the San Diego Padres for $12 million. And no, he did not get fries with that. Sorry, had to do that joke. It's required by law. Yeah, a bad McDonald's joke every time I mention it. You should check out the movie The Founder. Uh, it tells you more about Ray Kroc. Love that movie. In 1985, We Are the World was recorded by various pop stars in Los Angeles. And yeah, I'm not going to tell you a bunch of facts about We Are the World. I'm going to tell you that I was in elementary school back then, and we had to learn all the words and sing it in front of the parents. And uh, yeah, <laughs> they're still stuck in my head to this day. How do I remember that song? But I don't remember many things that happened in elementary school. I don't know. But anyway, on this day in 1998, uh, there was a Super Bowl happening. The Denver Broncos beat the Green Bay Packers 31 to 24. All right. So this is going to be a little bit awkward and weird because we're going to do the end of the show, but we're only going to take a break and then we're going to come back. So I'm going to pretend it's the end of the show, but it's not really the you get what I'm doing here. Let's take a look at our birthdays for today. Virginia Woolf was born on this day in 1882. She was a novelist, an essayist, an autobiographer. You know who she is, right? Etta James was also born on this day in 1938. She passed away in 2012. Alicia Keys was born on this day in 1981. She turns 40 today. Lil Mosey. Lil. You know, like little, but Lil. Lil Mosey is still Lil. He's 19 today. <laughs> you know, if you want to get your birthday mentioned on uh, This Is Today, really, all you need to do is have your name Lul 
because I love saying that and I always am going to add those. Hey, uh, when we come back, we're going to hear a special edition of Learning More, our new podcast. So you get to kind of, you know, get a feel for the new format and all that fun stuff. We're going to do that right after this. There is nothing I hate more than standing by the refrigerator section, looking at a beer selection and not knowing what to pick. Yeah, I'll just pick by the label sometimes, but no, I'm going to stop doing that because the Beer Connoisseur has over 5,000 expert beer reviews and in-depth articles about the drink we all know and love. Yeah, it's even got like brewery tours, product reviews, all that fun stuff right there in the magazine. And best of all, because you're one of my listeners, you can take $5 off. Just click the link in the description and head over to the Beer Connoisseur and uh, start drinking better beer. The relationship between the president and the press has definitely had its ups and downs over the years. Some presidents view it as an opportunity to push ideas, others view it in a more combative way. On this episode, we are learning more about the president and the press. Thanks for listening and subscribing to Learning More, where each week we bring you a new story about people, inventions, pop culture, and life. I'm your host, Russ, and this week, as I mentioned, we're discussing the president and the press. Well, yeah, it's no secret that President Trump had his contentious moments, uh, we'll say, uh, with the press. That could be an entire podcast. We're not going to get into that today. Instead, we're going to talk about the history of the relationship with various presidents and the press and some of those new communication methods as well. Because, yeah, as the presidents have changed, so have the ways of communications. For instance, Abraham Lincoln used to use a telegraph. Yeah, he would telegraph uh, messages out to the press and then therefore to the public. Well, now, of course, we've got Twitter and Joe Biden getting nearly 5 million followers within 24 hours. But yeah, let's rewind a bit. Let's look back, way back to our third president, Thomas Jefferson. Well, when he came into office, he believed that the power and the freedom of the press was a great thing. However, that relationship wasn't always great. He once wrote, Nothing can now be believed which is seen in a newspaper. Truth itself becomes suspicious by being put out in that polluted vehicle. Yeah, you see, you thought fake news was new. No, Trump uh, wasn't the first president to question the truthfulness of the news, right? Yeah, in fact, President Truman felt that this had been going on for years. He said, Presidents and the members of their cabinets and their staff members have been slandered and misrepresented since George Washington. Yeah, the press can be harsh on the president. And I would think if I were doing that job, that would be one of the hardest parts of the job. Yeah, there's all the decisions. And, you know, you look at those photos of when presidents go in office and come out of office, like how much they've aged. Well, yeah, it would definitely be tough to be under the scrutiny of the press 24-7. Presidents have used, however, this attention 
to their favor. Yeah, like Teddy Roosevelt, for instance, he welcomed journalists, well, certain journalists, just the one that he would invite, to talk with him. And Okay, how would he do this? Well, he would do it while he was getting his daily shave. Yeah, the barber would roll out a chair, and he would invite the press to join him and ask questions. Very informal, right? Well, Teddy was a bit of a media genius. He would stage photo ops, and he would use the media to help him basically judge the public opinion. He'd put something in Sunday and see what people thought about it on Monday. So he would definitely use the press to his advantage. Let's move to another president, another Roosevelt, in fact, Franklin Roosevelt. He would use the media to broadcast his fireside chats. Yeah, FDR actually installed radio broadcast equipment permanently inside the White House so that he could do these chats on a regular basis. Okay, well, radio only lasted so long, the growth of TV came along, and Dwight Eisenhower would become the first president to host a televised press conference. However, that wouldn't be live. His successor, John F. Kennedy, would become the first to hold a live televised press conference, and he would sort of become known as the TV president. Okay, well, let's talk about that a bit. To discuss this with me, I have a special guest today on Learning More, Stephen Fagan from the Sixth Floor Museum at Dealey Plaza in Dallas. Hey, Stephen, thanks for joining me. Oh, happy to be here. Thank you. All right, let's get right into it. So, presidential press conferences live out there, right? We're used to that. Like, we take that for granted now. Um, Back then, was this a big deal that JFK was doing a televised press conference for the first time? It absolutely was. Uh, presidential press conferences started way back in 1913 with Woodrow Wilson, but uh, they weren't recorded until uh, Dwight Eisenhower had a press conference filmed in 1955 and then clips were used. But Kennedy approached it very differently. We think of Kennedy today uh, very much as our first television president, and, and this is uh, uh, typical of him, that, that he wanted to connect with viewers directly. And so um, his press conferences were televised beginning with this one on January 25th, 60 years ago. And ultimately throughout his uh, presidency, which was unfortunately cut short, he held 64 conferences just like this televised. What were the ratings for these conferences? Well, on average, uh, about 18 million American viewers tuned in to these conferences. Uh, they, they occurred roughly one every 16 days on average. Uh, what's interesting, though, is that people were certainly very, very curious when they started in 1961. Uh, there was a, a poll done after three of his press conferences, the first three, and 90% of those who were polled said that they had watched at least one or part of one of his first three press conferences. And that's really remarkable, considering <laughs> oh, that they're, they're pretty much recounting the the the, the issues of the day, but in a very dry manner, Kennedy just taking questions from the White House press corps. Wow, that's some amazing numbers there. <laughs> you know, today you can't get one out of three people to do anything. <laughs> it's pretty crazy that one out of three Americans watched those uh, press conferences. Now, I watched it on YouTube and I noticed that one of the first questions asked by the press was a, a concern about the president actually having a live press conference. And a lot of people were concerned about a live press conference from the president of the United States. 
It, it is interesting, and I think it shows how new and dynamic this avenue was being televised so that there was no middleman. There was no opportunity for the news media to put their spin or to do any kind of interpretation of Kennedy's words. Uh, essentially, it, it, it bypassed the press and allowed Kennedy to speak directly to the viewers. Uh, when he's asked that question, um, he, he, he says, quote, uh, this system has the advantage of providing more direct communication, which I think is somewhat of an understatement. Um, not only were these televised, but they were also on the radio as well. So it was ubiquitous. I mean, if, if you were interested in what was going on in the country and if you were interested in the president's state of mind, I mean, essentially these press conferences, it was social media of the day. Yeah. Well, you know, in watching that press conference. I sort of thought of like, you know, some of the tweets that have come out in recent years about the press, um, the president saying certain things about the press. And, you know, listening to this press conference and watching it on YouTube, I was thinking, you know, he's a little tough on the press as well. There was one, a member of the press that asked a question, um, which Kennedy took more of like, this is not a question, this is a statement, but here's an answer that I have for you. Uh, he was a little tough on the press in this press conference. Kennedy certainly loosened up later in his uh, time in the White House. Uh, there's not there's not much humor in this initial press conference from 60 years ago. We typically think back on those press conferences and the clips that are most often shown in documentaries about this uh, show those moments of great levity where Kennedy was uh, certainly quick on his feet and very witty and very funny. Um, there's not much of that this first time around because mm -hmm. Kennedy was, this was a new format and, and Kennedy didn't know the press corps, of course, as well as he, he came to. Um, there were a couple of just issues of the day that were being discussed. And one of them was the release of these uh, two American aviators from Russian custody. And it does seem like about seven or eight nearly identical questions are asked about that, uh, really pressing him for details about his mm -hmm. communication with Nikita Khrushchev. And it's clearly something that President Kennedy is not willing to openly discuss at that time. And, and so, yeah, it could be a little contentious, but... Uh, you know, this was the first one and it certainly, yeah. <laughs> certainly got better from here. Yeah. You know, the other thing that I found interesting about this particular press conference was the uh, issues. Uh, some of the topics that came up uh, were actually pretty darn topical today, not just in 1960. Yeah, it is. It is quite interesting to go back 60 years in time and watch questions that could easily be asked at a presidential press conference today be asked of John F. Kennedy. Uh, there is a question about voter suppression referring to the 1960 election. And, uh, and Kennedy, for those who might be interested in how the president responded to that, Kennedy said, I'm extremely interested in making sure that every American is given the right to cast his vote without prejudice to his rights as a citizen. And therefore, I can state that this administration will pursue the problem of providing that protection with all vigor that characteristic vigor that Kennedy uh, came mm. to be so known for. And then you're mm. right, there were, uh, later on, there, were, uh, there was one question asked about potential changes to the Electoral College, which is something that I heard about on the radio just yesterday. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> January of 1960, Kennedy was asked about proposed changes to the college. And, uh, and, and he says very simply, uh, part of his answer is, the people vote. They assume the votes are going to be cast in the way which reflect the judgments of a majority of the people of the state. 
And and so it, it is interesting to hear uh, to hear his response to what are essentially still you know relevant issues today. Yeah, and you know on those issues, just every issue that came up at that press conference, you know, he didn't do the, oh, let's circle back to that later. He had an answer for just about everything. He seemed so knowledgeable about all of the issues, which was pretty darn amazing, I think. Yeah, that's that's really indicative of, of just Kennedy in general. And it's one of the reasons why I think he remains so well thought of today. He, he was very quick. And it, it's funny that your comment there reminds me of the day of the assassination. You know, he gave this impromptu speech uh, out in front of the Hotel Texas in Fort Worth just before going in for breakfast. And then, of course, the fateful trip to Dallas. So it's one of his last public appearances out there. And it, when you listen to the audio of it, it sounds like a prepared address. But we have pictures in our collection taken from behind Kennedy looking out at the crowd. And when when you look at those pictures very noticeably, the, the lectern, the podium where Kennedy's at is just, it's speckled with raindrops, but there's not a piece of paper on there, which means everything he was saying was memorized or extemporaneous. And, and that wow. really is remarkable. And, and I think you see that uh, very well in these uh, various press conferences. Well, you know, we can't talk about JFK being the television president without bringing up the debates that he had with Nixon and how well JFK did on those debates. Those Kennedy-Nixon debates in 1960, of course, everyone remembers the first one where Kennedy did so well and Nixon looked uh, stiff and very sickly on camera, and, and it really formed a, a, a prominent first impression in the minds of voters. Uh, a lot of people forget that there were four uh, presidential debates in 1960, and Nixon really uh, came back hard and did very well in the remaining three, so much so mm. that he wanted a fifth debate, and Kennedy refused a fifth debate. Uh, but looking back on it today, all that people remember is that first one where Kennedy wore makeup. He had gone in there early to check out the lighting and the camera angles. And Nixon, uh, he had just been hospitalized for two weeks. He had lost 10 pounds. Uh, he was exhausted from this somewhat ridiculous pledge, uh, ill-advised pledge to campaign in all 50 states in the 1960 election. And so, uh, yeah, that first debate was very hard on Nixon, and it really made Kennedy look good, which the irony of that, mm -hmm. of course, is that Nixon was healthy for most of his life, whereas Kennedy was very sickly, but it was the exact opposite. That was the impression that voters got uh, tuning into that, that infamous first debate. The thing that amazes me about that debate is how poorly Nixon did. You would think that he would put a little importance on this because TV essentially years before, saved his career. Yeah, Nixon, going into the 1960 campaign, Nixon was the television guy. It's so funny to think back on that, but Nixon, his political career was saved in 1952 with that checker speech. Nixon had been accused of having a slush fund and he went on television to essentially uh, defend himself. So uh, Dwight Eisenhower would keep him on the ticket. And then after that, in, in 59, uh, Nixon represented the United States uh, in Moscow with these uh, so-called kitchen debates that he had with Nikita Khrushchev. And so he was holding up American values and seen, uh, seen by uh, Americans as being you know, tough on communism. And he thought that was really going to help him in 1960. But 
yeah, it, that image very quickly as being this TV candidate fell apart. And, and the only thing you have to do is look at the campaign commercials that each side put out in 1960. I mean, it's just night and day. Uh, almost all of Nixon's campaign commercials for the 1960 election are virtually identical. It's Nixon kind of perched on the front of a desk in a very formal office setting, and he looks directly into the camera and, and kind of intones, you know, I'd like to talk to you for a moment about whatever the topic was. Uh, there was the economy, there was civil rights, but it's just Nixon almost looking down on the viewer from his position sit, sitting at the top of that desk. And, and it just doesn't really connect. Whereas Kennedy did a, a variety of really interesting commercials that hold up very well today. Uh, he did a civil rights spot where he was in conversation with Harry Belafonte. Uh, Jackie Kennedy did the first Spanish language presidential campaign commercial. Uh, Henry Fonda hosted a five-minute commercial, which essentially was this almost Hollywood epic recounting the her uh, courageous story of, of PT-109. Kennedy just, the campaign was masterful at presenting these different types of campaign advertisements that would reach different types of people. Uh, whereas Nixon's, uh, by and large, were all the same and none particularly interesting. Okay, so years later, Nixon would once again embrace television, do a little bit better <laughs> the next time around, and actually become president. While he was president, he took an indoor swimming pool in the White House and actually turned that into a press briefing room that today is known as the James S. Brady Press Briefing Room, named after the press secretary of President Reagan, who was shot during an assassination attempt on President Reagan. And Stephen, uh, we've got to talk about the assassination of John F. Kennedy and the impact that that had on television news, because all of a sudden we now had breaking news, 24-7 coverage of the assassination and that had never really happened before. The term wasn't used at the time, but it really was the first breaking news story where people could sit down in front of a television and really watch in real time this remarkable story unfold, not over the course of one day, but over the course of four days from the moment the uh, shots were fired here in Dealey Plaza to the, the burial of the president at Arlington National Cemetery. It's remarkable that, I mean, virtually everyone who had access to a television watched it at some point that weekend. Walter Cronkite, who was sort of this grandfatherly figure who guided so many through the horrors of that weekend, uh, he said later that, that the Kennedy assassination was the moment when television came of age. Uh, right. I've, I've interviewed a lot of baby boomers, as you can imagine, who were fairly young kids at the time of the assassination and almost to a person their most vivid memory is sitting in front of that small black and white television, uh, watching this take place, seeing Lee Harvey Oswald shot on live television, almost as if they're watching a, a TV Western. Mm -hmm. The impact that that live coverage, that that news coverage over the co course of those four days had on the nation and the world uh, just can't be overstated. It really was... Um, the key media moment, I think, of the uh, the modern age, certainly of the 20th mm, yeah. century. <laughs> so, okay, let's take a look at this then. We have uh, the first television president, the first real, you know, breaking news story. 
then we had the later election of an actor, Ronald Reagan, and then a reality TV star, Donald Trump. Can we draw a line from Kennedy becoming the first television president to celebrities becoming president? I, I got asked that a lot of four years ago after the, the 2016 election as we were talking about how a celebrity figure, someone who, who has no political experience, could be elected to the office of the presidency. And, and certainly I think you can draw a somewhat squiggly line back to 1960. Kennedy was glamorous. He and his wife, of mm -hmm. course, the, the Kennedys were this um, almost Hollywood power couple, the way we would view them today. And, and politicians weren't rock stars in the 1960s. If you think about uh, who Kennedy took over from, Dwight Eisenhower yeah. was the oldest president in American history. And, and he and Mamie, they, they were grandparents for, to most Americans, whereas Kennedy uh, was the youngest man ever elected to the office. Uh, he was frequently seen on television. Mrs. Kennedy did, of course, the live, uh, the televised uh, tour of the White House, which brought Americans into the people's home for the first time in, in real time. And, and, and so, yeah, I, I do think that the Kennedys elevated the presidency in terms of media attention. People were captivated mm -hmm. by what was going on in and around the White House during that time, and they were so photogenic, uh, viewers just couldn't get enough of them. Well, you know, you say that in past tense. However, there's still movies coming out about Camelot and JFK and Jackie. I, I love the Natalie Portman movie about Jackie. Uh, I love, you know, JFK, uh, even the Umbrella Academy is talking about JFK and that year. And it seems like that is never going to end. All right. Uh, I want to tell people about your book as well, uh, Assassination and Commemoration. Can you tell us a little about that book? Oh, sure. Uh, the book is called Assassination and Commemoration, and it really tells the, the story of the building and the story of Dealey Plaza in the years after the assassination. Everyone knows what happened here on November 22nd, 1963, but we're frequently asked, what happened after? How do you... Mm -hmm. Uh, commemorate the site of one of the darkest moments in American history, and, and particularly an event for which the city of Dallas came under such international criticism for. And it's a, it's a, a strange, painful, uh, sometimes humorous story of how this building was ultimately transformed into a site of shame for the city of Dallas into part of the cultural landscape of, of this community. So it really does start in 1963 and takes us right up to the present day. Yeah, I picked up the book when I was there visiting the Sixth Floor Museum just a few years ago. Now, I know, you know, the museum's open right now and they're doing all of the safety measures to make sure that you can visit the museum. That's, of course, if you're listening to this in 2021, uh, I don't know when you're listening to it, but as of right now, uh, you know, it's a little tough to travel. So they've set up some virtual experiences on their website so that you can check out and visit Dealey Plaza. Stephen, can you tell us a little about those experiences on the website? Yeah. Now that we're um, really living in this virtual world, we wanted to give people the opportunity to sort of explore Dealey Plaza on their own, in their homes or uh, on their smartphones, wherever they may be. And so we did launch a, uh, an interactive guide to Dealey Plaza, which you can access via our website, which is really easy to remember. It's jfk.org. Uh, and so you can 
explore the plaza in a number of different ways. You can take a guided tour that's, that's narrated, or you can explore building by building and learn a little bit about how all the buildings in the Dealey Plaza area uh, connect in some way to the assassination. You can learn a little bit about their history and architecture as well. Uh, there's oral histories, there's films and photographs. It's a great way of uh, introducing the museum and introducing our collection. And then from there, you can go even further on our website. We have this uh, really interesting interactive map showing the motorcade route, and you can pop into different points along the route and see what people on the side of the road saw from their photographs and their home movies. So there's a lot to explore on our website at jfk.org, and that's also where you'd go uh, to reserve tickets for the museum. Thank you so much for joining me today, Stephen. My pleasure. Thank you. We'll place a link to the Sixth Floor Museum in the podcast description and also a link to Stephen's book. You know, while you're looking at the podcast description, there are some sponsors in there and clicking on the links to those sponsors helps us out and it helps us to bring you less commercials within the actual show. So please do that. There's also a Patreon link in there if you're feeling extra generous today. And also make sure you subscribe to this brand new podcast. It's called Learning More. It's available in your favorite podcast application, but you know that because you're listening. Uh, What you need to do is hit subscribe so that you get each one of our new episodes, which will be coming out each and every Monday. And if you'd like to learn more about a specific topic, you can make a suggestion by going to our website at learningmorepodcast.com. You can also see our other podcasts, including the daily podcast, This Is Today. Hey, we do our best to present all of the correct information within the podcast, as do our guests. So if we made a mistake and you heard it, you're super smart and we're super sorry. This has been an X audio podcast production. I'm Russ, and I'll talk to you next week.